All right, now, similar, let's shift to asking, what are you grateful for today? We've been going through the book of Romans for quite some time now. We've got quite some time ahead of us still going through the book of Romans, but we're going to pause Romans for seven weeks. And that seven weeks is today, we're going to talk about gratitude. We're going to talk about thanks living. That's punny, I know. Um, and then after that, we're going to get into our Advent series for Christmas season and with our anticipation for celebrating the birth of Christ and what all that means for us. But um, so, so what are you grateful for today? If you had a minute to think about that, let's have some fun. Go ahead and tell me, what are you grateful for today? Oh, you're kind, Latrell. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? What else are you grateful for today, Dave? I'm, I'm thankful that in the men's bathroom, oh boy. <laughs> that is something to be grateful for, huh? Now you just need a straw. No, we'll stop that. I'm glad you're grateful for the shelf in the men's bathroom. What else are you guys grateful for? This is what happens when you do open mic, right? Fellowship. Fellowship, amen. God's call, amen. Family, someone said family, amen. What else are you thankful for? Yeah. My salvation. Salvation, amen. Sunny weather. Sunny weather, that's right. That's something to be grateful for. John 316. Amen, for God so loved. What else are you guys thankful for? Turning point. Turning point, young adults, amen. Psalm this, 23. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus, amen, bud. Good answer. There's plenty more. What else? This is kind of fun for a minute. What are you thankful for? Friendship. What was that? Every day on this beautiful earth. Did I hear you right? Amen. Zach? Family. Family. Amen. I'll take five more. My wife. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. I've, my, my wife is home with a sick daughter right now. So, honey, if you're watching, I'm grateful for you as well. I'm piggybacking. The family that God put you in, amen. That's right. Thank you, sir. Two more. Children and sobriety, amen. Praise God. God is good, amen. You know the song? Well, maybe you don't. Some of you might. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Do you know this? If you know it, jump in. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And 20 of us just had our childhood nostalgia scratched for growing up in church. That's a song that to me has always felt in style and tone a little hokey. But is so powerfully true. When we stop and count our blessings and think about how faithful and how good God has been, man, it stirs gratitude up in our hearts. I want to let the word of God just stir up our hearts with gratitude for a few moments. Psalms 107 and verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. I'm going to read that line again and let you fill in that last blank there. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Let's do that one more time. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
for his steadfast love endures for a little bit. Forever. Steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 7 and 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. One of my favorite passages, Psalm 34. Shane and Shane turned this into a really great song. Originally, I guess David did a long time ago. I will bless the Lord. How often? His praise shall, how often? Continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. I love this next verse. This next verse to me encapsulates our Sunday morning gatherings. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do you feel the heart of that verse? When we get to gather together every Sunday, we ought to be feeling like, hey, you, hey, you, you, me, me, you, and me, yeah, yeah, all of us. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Thanksgiving is a holiday that's upon us, right? It's coming up fast this Thursday. Hopefully you're prepared and hopefully you have friends and family that you're getting ready to spend some time with. But even though Thanksgiving is a holiday that's upon us, shouldn't it be an attitude that's within us? Always. How many of you have the family tradition, like my family, where Thursday comes and whoever's been preparing whatever parts of the meal, um, you know, I have a pretty good ham that I like to make with nutmeg and cinnamon and pineapple and all that jazz. It's delicious. Wish I had some right now. But we all get the meals together and then you get it all spread out and everybody sits down and it's smelling and you're looking at it and your mouth's watering. And then grandpa or dad or whomever says, let's all take a minute to say what we're thankful for. And in a little way, you're kind of like, I'm thankful for this food that I want to eat right now that's going to get cold. But it's a beautiful practice to stop and go, man, what are we thankful for? What are we grateful for? To just take a minute and sit here and ask everyone like, Hey, what are we thankful for? It stirs so much up in you to just get it out of your mouth, to speak it out, to stop and reflect, to ask and to think. Yet for the Christian, man, Thanksgiving is not something that we ought to just be doing once a year. And we're like, well, well of course not. We know we want to be thankful more than once a year. We want to, you know, be thankful way more often. But what does that look like when we consider 
several verses, like 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll get to in a moment, but also that very first verse in Psalm 34 that we just read, 34, 1, where he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. R.C. Sproul once said that the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. The essence of Christian ethics is gratitude, meaning at the core and the essence of our heart in Christianity and our ethics and how we view the world is in light of gratitude compared to what God has done for us. See, gratitude should be most, one of the most distinguishable traits of the believer. Man, far be it from us that, that we would be a people who are known for being complainers, whiners, negative, always down and downtrodden. I'm not saying we can't have hard days. I'm not saying you can't go through rough times. I'm not saying that we don't have seasons of, of mourning or grief or sorrow. That's true. But for the Christian who has been saved by the lavish grace of God, don't we want to be known infinitely more for being a people of thankfulness and gratitude thankful for what God has done. See, those who have had their debt paid that they know they could never pay back, that causes a gratitude that's different than all other things. All of us have gotten gifts before, right? Like Christmas is going to come up next or your birthday or whatever, or maybe a just because. When someone gives you a gift and you're like, depending on how significant that gift was, you might be thinking, oh, wow, thank you so much. That was so thoughtful. Maybe it was one that was massively thoughtful and maybe even massively costly that makes you, go, makes you shed a tear and makes you cry a little bit. You feel really moved and, and, and compelled to like, thank you so much. That meant so much to me. But it doesn't matter what gift you can name. If we said, hey, what's the greatest gift that you've ever received Next to knowing Jesus Christ, that gift, the generosity of God, the grace of God, the provision of God that he has made available to us in many ways, but ultimately in saving us from our sin, that gift is enough to warrant an, a response of gratitude that blows every other thank you out of the water. Sometimes, though, we respond to God's lavish grace with platitudes of thank you, Lord, and respond with, with thank yous that, it, that it's like someone gave us something that they owed us. That's not an appropriate response. I want to look really quick at an example of this that is literal and also metaphorical. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to see the account of Jesus as he's traveling. Many of you have probably heard this story before. The ten lepers, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, talking about Jesus. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, 
They were cleansed. Then one of them, how many are we talking about here? How many were there? Ten. Then one of them, verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There are 10 people who have just been healed of leprosy. And in case you don't know enough about leprosy, this is a a, a death sentence. Whenever someone had leprosy in Jesus' day, it's such a contagious and, and horrible disease that essentially it would eat away at your flesh until you died. It was terrible. It was awful. It was painful. It was foul. And because of that, there were laws in the land, even in scripture, that said, hey, if you have leprosy, you have to live outside of the camp, live out in a leper community. And if anybody's approaching you, you have to wave your hands and yell, unclean, unclean, so that people know, don't come close to me because you might get leprosy. Ten of these guys are shouting out to Jesus, have mercy on me. Ten of them obey Jesus' command where he says, go show yourself to a priest. Now in that day, they would have known this was the command that was given to if you somehow miraculously were a leper that became clean, you had to go show yourself to a priest, offer sacrifices, and they would declare you as clean so you could reintegrate into the community. This very rarely happened. And so these guys recognize Jesus has told them to go declare themselves clean to the priests, and they do. On the way as they're healed, one of ten, one out of ten, recognizes that what just happened to them is worthy of gratitude to come back to Jesus, praising God and throwing themselves at his feet. Now it's interesting. Out of the ten, we don't know identity characteristics of the nine that did not come back with gratitude. But the fact that Jesus points out that the one that did come back with gratitude was a Samaritan implies that the others probably were not. And that they were most likely Jews and that they might have had a sense of entitlement, like much of the entitlement that we've seen um, in the book of Romans as we've been going through it. People who are going, well, I'm the seed of Abraham, I've been circumcised, I'm obeying these laws, and they feel entitled, in a sense, in God's blessing. For whatever reasons, whatever led to the entitlement to these nine, for some reason they didn't recognize that they owed a debt of gratitude to Jesus for healing them. The one comes back and he cries out, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. If you didn't know, historically throughout scripture, leprosy is symbolic of something else. It's literal in this case, in this account, but it's also symbolic of a greater issue. Do you know what it is? Yes, sir. Sin. Leprosy in Scripture represents sin, this flesh-eating disease that eats away at you until you die. 
That is our sin. And the danger is that as, as miraculous as it would be for God to heal your flesh from leprosy, that's a small thing compared to God healing your heart from sin. To take out that stony, stubborn heart that the prophet spoke about and replacing your heart with the heart of flesh, tender and responsive to God's decrees, a heart that delights in God's law. There is no greater miracle that has ever existed. In first service, we just baptized a young man named Sam, and he shared his testimony, his story of how God saved him out of his sin. And it was a beautiful thing that, man, you know, right now, if one of us had leprosy and we prayed for him and the leprosy just went away and we watched their flesh heal, how would we be responding? We'd be freaking out. We'd be praising God. We'd be going, whoa, yeah. We'd be high-fiving. We'd be singing and dancing. We'd be so excited. Yet, any miracle that happens, as incredible as it may be, is second tier to the miracle of regeneration of the Holy Spirit making sinners alive in Christ. It's the greatest miracle of all time. And we can become casual and familiar with it. So what causes a lack of gratitude? Two things I want to point out quickly. Number one, I think what causes a lack of gratitude, first and foremost, is unbelief. The person who does not believe in the truth is ungrateful. Do you remember in Romans chapter 1 where, where Paul's talking about the ungodly who suppress the truth about God in exchange for a lie? He said that they were not grateful nor did they thank God. That the people who have suppressed the truth about God from their hearts and chosen to live in darkness, embracing their sin, one of the accusations that Paul lobbied against them was that they were ungrateful, nor did they acknowledge God. He says they didn't acknowledge God, nor were they grateful. From Romans chapter one, this unbelief at a basic level, of course, stops gratitude to God because you don't believe that he's doing things or did things or is at work. But most of you here are not in the category of, of, of unbelief, purely just going, I don't believe in Jesus. But what can happen is we can have knowledge of truth that we know at a mental ascent level but don't believe in our heart. And so we can have knowledge of the truth about God, knowledge of the truth about Jesus Christ from the Bible, but it hasn't sunken down into our heart to be knowledge that we believe to be true and therefore respond to with our actions, one of those actions being gratitude. If you believe that your sin has put you under condemnation before God, and that Jesus Christ stood over you and took that condemnation on his body in your place, you don't just go, oh, that was sweet. Thank you. You're so kind. As if he just held open the door for us, letting us go into the restaurant. Like, oh, thank you. How kind. No, like the leper who recognized the gravity of what happened, comes back loudly declaring the praises of God and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. That's an appropriate response to truly believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unbelief, if we don't respond to the lavish grace of God given to sinners, it's very possible that we don't even really believe it. We just heard it and know it. 
It's possible that we don't believe that he saved us from impending destruction caused by our sin. It's possible that we don't believe that our sin is really that big of a deal. It's not like I'm as bad as those people or that crowd or that person. It's not like, I mean, I'm sure I struggle with gossip a little bit or maybe have a little bit of lust or maybe tell a little white lie here or there. Not that big of a deal. No, every single sin ever committed, whether we want to try and justify it as greater or lesser, every single sin ever committed throughout history must be judged by God. And if our sin is not judged on the cross with Jesus Christ, then we're in trouble. But if you are trusting in Jesus Christ to have been your substitute on the cross, then your response of seeing that sacrifice is a response of gratitude wherein when we gather together on Sundays, it's not just sing some songs and listen. And like the response of authentic gratitude is warranted. That authentic gratitude permeates into our lives, into our schedules, into our budgets, into our priorities, into every area of our life. If this is true, and if we truly understand it and truly believe it and truly receive it, gratitude comes out of our heart into every area of life. It's also possible that we believe a mixture of false truth or false gospel wherein we see our lives like my water bottle, which hopefully because we're talking about thankful, being thankful, you see this as half full and not empty. (laughs) But we think, well, okay, like I'm a pretty good person, and so I'm bringing to Jesus this vessel that's half full of righteousness. Here's me, and Jesus is gonna top it off. If, If God requires full righteousness, Um, to be accepted into his kingdom. I don't quite have that. I'm pretty righteous. I'm pretty good. Like I've got this much. That's a good amount. But unfortunately, I don't have quite enough. And so Jesus, could you by your grace and mercy just kind of top me off there so that I'll be in? And, And scripture reveals and teaches, especially Romans 1 through 3, where we had been, teaches no, that, that's not how this works. We bring a, bo- a broken vessel that can't even hold water. It's not that we're going, well, I'm inadequate. I don't quite have enough goodness and enough righteousness and enough holiness. So Jesus, please top off the difference. We come to God with a broken vessel that has no righteousness in it whatsoever. And Jesus, by his miraculous grace, power, and love, has to mend and heal what we broke in our sin and then pour in all of his righteousness and holiness. We bring nothing but our broken selves. It is the lie that we sometimes believe that we're pretty good, comparatively good, relatively good. And because we believe that lie and start sniffing ourselves and thinking that we're bringing something to the table here, that we don't truly respond appropriately with gratitude to the grace of God because we think he did his part and I did mine. No, you brought a mess and he did it all. And when you recognize that, We don't respond anymore like a thank you to someone just opening a door for us. We respond as if Jesus is the door to the Father. Amen? Do we really recognize that we're poor beggars starving for bread and Jesus shows up as the bread of life? 
Do we really believe that we were dying of thirst in the desert and Jesus came giving us living water? Man, if you're dying in the desert and someone shows up with water, you don't go, thank you. Your gratitude looks different. Do we recognize that all of us, like sheep, had gone astray until Jesus, the good shepherd, comes and finds us leaving the 99, throwing us over his shoulder and bringing us back into the fold and then celebrates and rejoices over having found us? Do we really recognize that we were prisoners in the prison of darkness and sin and Jesus came bringing in the light of the world into our dungeon, taking us by the hand and leading us out? If you're in that dungeon incapable of escaping, when someone comes in to take you out, you don't say thank you. Do we recognize that we were locked out of the kingdom because of our sin, and Jesus became the door into the family of God? Do we recognize and truly see and believe the gravity that we were cut off from God, separated from him like a branch that was withering, yet Jesus engrafted us back into the vine and invites us to abide in him? Do we recognize that even though we didn't know how to find God, we didn't even know how, we didn't know his way, Even when we were deceived, even when we were dead in sin, Jesus came saying, I am the way that you don't know. I am the way. In your deception, I am the truth. And in your death, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if you're theologically savvy, you'll recognize I just went through the seven I am's of Jesus. I'm the bread of life, the living water, the good shepherd, the door. I'm the vine. I'm the way. I missed one in my recap there, but... See, God's giving deserves our thanksgiving. God's giving deserves our thanksgiving. There never has been and never will be anything given to you greater than Jesus Christ. Second reason why we are lacking in thanksgiving sometimes, sometimes it's unbelief. Another reason is forgetting. We can forget a lot of things. Either we know and believe, or either we know and don't believe, or we know and believe but forget. Man, did this happen a lot in scripture? What happened to the Israelites? How many times did God have to tell the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. How many times did God have to remind his people of the miraculous things he had done? When they get out and they start complaining and whining like, oh, we had it better in Egypt and we had, you know, at least some food there and it's better to die there, I guess, than die out here in the desert. Some of that came to unbelief, but it also came by forgetting what God had already done as if he would do those 10 plagues, as if he would bring them out and as if he would part the sea so they could walk through as on dry ground and then go, okay, now you're on your own. Good luck. Sometimes it's as simple as turning around and reminding ourselves of what God has done, counting our blessings. Number one, we can forget who God is. When we forget his character and his nature, that he's sovereign over all and in his sovereignty also is infinitely wise, perfectly loving, 
all-powerful. There's nothing God can't do. And so when we lose gratitude, sometimes it's because we forget that God is overall and he's got us. Whether we like it or not, whether we like what we're going through or not, if we forget who God is, sometimes it causes us to become ungrateful. Number two, forgetting what God has done. Listen, anytime you're wrestling with, because you're going through, through suffering or hardship or a valley in life, whatever you want to say there, sometimes it is because we have forgotten that Jesus Christ, Romans 8 tells us that if God did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, will he not also freely give us all things? Now, does that mean God's going to give us a Lexus and give us a penthouse on the 10th floor and, you know, because Sheboygan has places like that and jokes aren't landing today. That's all right. Does that mean God's going to give us everything literally? Uh, to some, he'll give some things and to others, not the same things. But the heartbeat of that text is he's already given us his best. He's already given us Jesus. And so the next time you're wrestling with like, man, does God even see me? Does God even care? Does God even love me? Does God know what I'm going through? Just the father's going, I gave you Jesus. You don't have to wonder if I love you, if I see your need. I already met your greatest need. We don't have to wonder. Forgetting what God has promised. So many times we forget what he has promised for us. We can forget that God is sovereign and knows what's best. How many times have you, parents, said no to what your kids were asking you because you knew better? A lot? Or are my kids just really messed up? <laughs> I, a lot of times, cannot give my daughters what they're asking of me because I know more than they do and I love them and care about them. This is 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Paul goes on to say, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part and that which is perfect is come and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, I behaved as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things and every men's ministry in the world goes, so let's man up and let's put away childish things. Sure, but that's not what that's saying. That's saying our understanding of the things of God is like a child understanding to the things of men. I can explain some things to my daughters and they can grasp some things, but there's a lot of things I withhold from them because they don't know better and they don't re they're not ready to know the things that I know. And sometimes because God is so good and loving, sometimes he withholds from us what we ask of him because he sees and knows what we don't know. If you could see everything that God sees, and if you could know everything that God knows, you would go, oh, I get it. And the good news of that promise from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is Paul wraps it up by saying this, we now know in part and prophesy in part, but that, when that which is perfect has come, when that which is in part will be done away, we now see in a mirror dimly, we will then see face to face, we now know in part, and then we will know even as we are known. There is coming a day for every single, God, why? There's coming a day when we will be on the other side and we'll be able to go, oh, duh. You were good all along. I couldn't see that 
but you could. And I, I need to trust you. I wish I would have trusted you more than I did. And I wish I would have trusted and banked on your character and in your integrity and in your goodness. And I can't believe that I doubted so much. And I can't believe that I questioned you so much. I should have known from your word <laughs> that you knew what you were doing and that you still loved me and were good for me every single minute of the time, even when I didn't like it. Don't ever exchange what you don't know for the truths that you do know. You can know God is good, loving, gracious, kind, and faithful. And in those moments of God, why? You cannot let go of those things for the things that you don't know. God, I don't understand why. Why would this? Why would that? I don't get it. I don't know. But I'm not going to let go of what I do know because of what I don't know. Sometimes we think God owes us. That's the entitlement I think we saw in the other nine that didn't come back thanking God. We think God owes us. Guys, we don't want to talk to God about what he owes us. What are we owed? Death. The wages of sin that we are owed is death. See, discontentment grumbles about not getting what it wants where gratitude praises God for not giving us what we deserve. Discontentment says, God, I deserve this. Gratitude says, I know what I deserve and thank God you don't give it to me. <laughs> Instead, in your grace, you give me what I don't deserve. Guys, listen, we sang it a moment ago. It's your breath in our lungs. Scripture teaches that God is currently upholding all things by the word of his power. Go with me right now. Let's just take a deep breath in. Breathe out. Hopefully you've got fresh breath this morning. That breath was the grace of God that you don't deserve. Feel your pulse this morning. Tick, 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 tick. Every single heartbeat in your chest it's the grace of God that you do not deserve. And if we think God owes us things, it's because we are ignoring all that he has already done and all that he has given us and is given us every minute of the day. Paul said this to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He said, rejoice. How often? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks when things are going well for the... Wait, I'm, I read that wrong. Give thanks when? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul writes this to a people who are watching their brothers and sisters be martyred. Paul writes his letters to the Thessalonians, a people, a church, who are constantly seeing brothers and sisters arrested and then killed for their faith. Imagine for a moment, God forbid, imagine for a moment something happened where people in our church congregation that you can look around right now were arrested, disappearing, and then murdered because they follow Jesus. Imagine the grief, the heaviness, the sorrow that we collectively would feel. And then to have a letter from Paul that says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks 
in all circumstances. We might be like, well, Paul, that's a little insensitive. Consider what we're going through. Can't you see? Haven't you heard about what's happening here in Thessalonica? Paul says, rejoice always. We have an eternal hope. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope because those who are asleep will be raised on the last day. And so we don't sorrow like people who don't have the eternal hope that we have. Instead, we rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for us. You, you, so many people I talk to, I, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. And that question always comes up and they're like, what's God's direction? And that's a good motivated question. Scripture actually talks about the will of God more in the way that we live. The will of God is that you would pray without ceasing, that you would rejoice always, and that you would give thanks in all circumstances. What's the will of God for my life, Pastor Stephen? I just wish God would speak to me about what his will for my life is. He did speak to you. His will is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Romans 12 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Paul's not saying that you'll know where God wants you to go in your life. He leads us as well. But Paul is saying God has a will, which is the way that we live, that he leads us into. All right, I'm going to wrap up. Say amen if you believe me. There was more laughs than amens there. I'm going to say this last part quick. Benefits of gratitude. Giving thanks combats fear, anxiety, and worry. Giving thanks combats fear, anxiety, and worry. Do you struggle with fear? Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you struggle with worry? In Philippians chapter fall, four, <laughs> wow. God's telling me like, let's wrap this thing up, bud. In Philippians chapter four, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With what? Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to have peace that passes understanding? That means you'll be in a situation where it doesn't make sense. People can't understand how you would have peace, yet you have it. Why? Because it's from Christ. People are going, how are you so peaceful in the midst of X, Y, Z? And you're going, I've got Jesus. That's a peace that passes understanding. John Blanchard once said, it's my testimony that there is a marvelous therapy in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is therapeutic. It's reminding and reciting the faithfulness of God. Practicing gratitude changes our attitude. There's your good rhyme for the day. If you're a tweeter or a Facebooker, or maybe just keep it to yourself and write it in your notes. Practicing gratitude changes our attitude. It reorients our heart, our perspective, our outlook. And the more that we count our blessings and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God, the more it changes the attitude and the disposition of our heart. So my question to you today is, how often do you practice gratitude? Hopefully more than once a year. Hopefully more than once a week. Hopefully more than once a day. We are seeing in Scripture from Psalms 34 and 1 Thessalonians 5 that the will of God is that we would rejoice always, giving thanks in all circumstances. So how do we walk that out? Quite simply, by putting up Ebenezer's.
Wait, what? <laughs> what? Putting up Ebenezer Scrooge? No. Believe it or not, that grumpy old man is named after a beautiful thing from Scripture called Ebenezer's. If you went to Samuel, you would see that the prophet Samuel is celebrating the faithfulness of God, and he does it by building an Ebenezer. Ebenezer literally means a standing stone. They would take a long stone that wouldn't stand on its own, dig a little bit of a hole to stand that stone up in so that as people walked by, they would be reminded of what God did at that place. That's an Ebenezer. So, how can we build Ebenezer's in our life. Like, my landlord wouldn't let me dig a hole in the lawn and put a stone there, so. And maybe you own your house and you want to. That's a cool idea. How else can we put Ebenezer's in our life, fill our life with standing stones that are constantly there to remind us of the faithfulness of God? What's the number one Ebenezer in the world? The Word of God. Scripture is the number one Ebenezer. God gave us the rock to look at constantly, to see and remember what God has done. That's the best way to remind ourselves constantly of what God has done. You can make your daily routine and your habits Ebenezer's. Can you build your morning routine to be an Ebenezer that reminds you of the faithfulness of God? Can you set reminders and notifications on your phone? Bing! Remember what God did. Oh, stop. Oh, wow. God's good. Thank you, Lord. You're faithful. Man, if you have to, tie a string on your finger, put a ring on your finger, put jewelry, a bracelet on, something that's not normal. That, that Oh, yeah, why is that? Oh, that's right. Makes me think of one of my absolute favorite songs, Come Thou Fount, where it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Meaning, I got here by the help of God. Put sticky notes on your mirrors, put reminders and note cards, wherever, whatever you have to do to remind yourself of a standing stone of I got here by the grace of God. Lord, we thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your grace in our lives. Thank you for giving us life today. We don't deserve it. You owe us nothing. but you've given us the grace of heartbeat after heartbeat after heartbeat when we know we deserve death. You've given us the grace of breath in our lungs. You have offered to us salvation in your son, Jesus Christ, if we would but repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ. You've given us more than we are even aware of. Father, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would stir genuine, deep gratitude in our hearts that Thanksgiving wouldn't be a, a once a year thing, but it would be a daily and hourly moment by moment practice where we acknowledge you in all that we do. Lord, make us a weird people, a peculiar people who are just all the time saying, thank you, Lord you and sing the song worthy is the lamb we praise you lord in jesus name amen